everybody. Welcome to Restoration. It's so amazing when you tell people there's going to be pizza, <laughs> what happens. So it's good to see everybody. Welcome to Restoration. If you're new, we're especially glad you're here because we have pizza for you later. Um, and uh, we just want to thank you for coming out. It's Labor Day weekend. You guys are the smart Coloradans, uh, not the ones that try to go to the mountains this weekend. So you're like, man, I could get some things done and might even be able to fit in church. Um, that video is Convoy of Hope. Uh, many of you have been well aware of what's happening down in Houston. And I just want to let you know that there's just tremendous work on the ground happening through Convoy of Hope. If you've never heard of Convoy of Hope, I would encourage you to go online. They are a rapid response disaster uh, organization, very much like Samaritan's Purse. They do it as well. Um, and, and they're already on the ground. They were actually on the ground before the storm hit um, in kind of the outskirts, ready to roll in. And so um, if you're looking for a place to donate that is legit, Convoy of Hope. If you're looking for a place to volunteer, this is another great place that you can go through them. Um, there's a chance, there's a really good chance, we're going to coordinate a team or two to go down to Houston, much like many of us did after Katrina, and do some work, just, just gut houses and help people out. Um, and so I just want to let you know about those things. Um, it looks like we've already taken our offering. You know why? Because our offering team knows me. And they know that I will forget to announcements, uh, announce it. So, uh, okay, so I guess it's somewhat happened in some places. So, so we're going to take our offering right now so that I don't get, uh, yeah, uh, lambasted later. So if you're new, you can just let that go by. But if this is your church, jump in, be a part of this with us. A couple announcements. Uh, folks, Family Shelter Initiative starts next Sunday. So if you've been thinking about signing up, if you're like, just keep forgetting to check your schedule or, or whatever, we need you, especially overnight hosts. And so here's the deal. If you're pretty good at laying down and falling asleep, this is a great job for you because you just do it in a different place than your own house. And so um, it's super great. So if you want to hang out with someone, guys, if there's another guy you want to hang out with, um, there, there's Wi-Fi, you can watch a game, you know, whatever. Just come and be a part of Family Shelter Initiative the week of the 10th through the 16th. Um, this is where we care for three homeless families about three or four times a year, and we're doing it in September. In fact, you can already sign up for November. That's how organized we are. I mean, it doesn't get any better than that, right? So uh, be a part of that. Sign up right away. The Arvada Serve Day is on the 16th. And so if you've got some uh, skills uh, around the house kind of skills, uh, we would love to have you join us and a whole bunch of other churches and community people. And what we're doing is we're helping people who are um, elderly or shut in or handicapped or whatever get their house ready for winter. So if they have some leaky stuff, if they need some work done around their house, we're going to meet all in one place and then disperse all throughout the city. So this is kind of like a, our Go Denver kind of version, but it's Arvada. I'd love for you to be a part of this. You go on our website, and it'll send you to a place to sign up, okay? So jump in. This is family-friendly. Bring your kids to this. And you get T-shirts, and you get lunch, and the whole thing. Like, it's way better than what we do. So... Uh, uh, Nicaragua is heading out, our team for Nicaragua is heading out very shortly. Um, and so if you're still wanting to like help them out financially, um, you can do that by giving a, a check in the offering that just already went by, um, that says Nicaragua on it, um, or you can give online. 
um, and then help them out. And then last but not least, um, we are in, uh, we are about to launch uh, an eight-week scripture reading plan together in the New Testament called Immerse. And we have all the books out on the info table. They're $10. So get them ahead of time because we're going to start this the week of September 17th, okay? And what we're going to do is we're going to, you can actually listen to it. You can download the audio version um, if you would rather listen than read. Um, Or you can read, and it gives you a schedule of what to read. And then the goal is is that you would get together with one, two, three, five, twelve other people once a week and just talk about it. There's some simple questions around it. So has anybody ever read the whole New Testament in eight weeks? Maybe. Nobody. All right. So this is your chance, right? Big, big chunks of the story uh, together in community. And we're going to do it between September 17th and the middle of November. So by Thanksgiving, you won't have to read again. You're done reading. That's, that's it. Um, by the way, if you haven't noticed, there's babies everywhere. There's like babies coming everywhere around here. And so the Barnes family just had their baby a week ago. The Hinshaws had a baby. All girls. I think it's girl power around here. Uh, I think we got some boys coming. So I I just thought I'd say that. Hey, will you take a look at this video and then get ready to, to talk a little bit, okay? I was reading the Bible, which, you know, is kind of hard to do, but I came across this verse that says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and teaching. Yeah, this is in Paul's letter to Timothy, who's a young pastor, and he's telling him about ways that he can keep his church community engaged with scripture. Okay, so preaching the Bible, I get. Teaching from the Bible, I get that too. But what about this reading scripture together thing? Is that something I'm supposed to care about? Why did Paul think it was so important? Oh man, for Paul, this was a really significant practice for the people of God. Think all the way back to Mount Sinai, where the Israelites were just rescued from Egypt. They're no longer slaves and they need a new identity, a new story to live by. And so Moses, he gathers the people together and he reads the scriptures aloud. He reminds them of where they came from, who they are, and the new future that they're called to live for. This was the first public reading of scripture in the Bible. Yeah, and it didn't stop there. When the people finally got into the land, they did it again. Joshua pulled the people together and they all listened to the scriptures read aloud so they could remember where they came from and how they could keep living as a part of this new story. So this is something they did all the time then? Well, actually, no. After Joshua died, we don't have any more stories of the people coming together to hear God's word. Instead, the people forgot their story and a whole generation arose that didn't know their God or what God had done for them. But then, centuries later, a king named Josiah rediscovered the scriptures, and he was so excited that he called Israel to begin this practice once again. It sparked a renewal movement. That is, until the people forgot once more, and they ended up in exile. And so this is why, when Ezra and Nehemiah came back from the exile, they needed to remind the people who they are and how they are to live. So this is a powerful practice. Yeah, in fact, reading scripture together became a core part of Jewish life. It was done every week as they gathered in synagogue. Jesus himself participated in this practice. He even launched his mission during the weekly reading of the scriptures. He read from the scroll of Isaiah, and then he told everyone these words were about him. And that brings us all the way back to the early church where Paul told Timothy to keep this practice going to immerse the whole community in the story of the scriptures. 
Okay. But here's the thing. Most people back then didn't know how to read, so they had to do it publicly. But I can read the Bible by myself. Yeah, and you should totally do that. But don't underestimate the power of this ancient practice. Reading the Bible by yourself can be hard. It can be easy to get distracted. But something happens when you hear God's word read aloud and when you're with other people. And besides, it's really easy. You don't need anyone to preach or teach. You just need to listen to the scriptures and then talk about what you've heard. This is what God's people have always done when they enter into new and uncertain times. They remember their story and who they are through the public reading of the scriptures. Right. So last week, we gave you guys some resources on the back of your program. And one of them was this website, The Bible Project. And it's a group of people, scholars and artists that have come together and they've worked on some resources to help you engage more in scripture. And so one of the things I think is really important if you're stuck, if you're reading something in scripture, if you're not sure the background of some things, this is a great resource. Why? Because it's a cartoon. I mean, how awesome is that, right? And so uh, uh, just, just to give you a little bit of heads up, like last summer, this last summer here, last summer meaning like six weeks ago, um, we went through the book of Jonah. And it's a really tough book. Like if you're just to open the book of Jonah, you'd be like, what is going on? And uh, one of the great things is the Bible Project actually has a little video on the book of Jonah that is really helpful for the background. And the reason why I say that is we're jumping into, we're in the fifth week of this series called Metamorphic, where we're talking about scripture. In fact, we're talking about what the outcome is if we actually live it. We wouldn't just read it and know it and, and things like that, but what we actually, it actually does something. It transforms us. So today we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, which is one of my favorite all-time passages of scripture. In fact, some of you are like, this one again? Yep, this one again. So will you pray with me? God, thank you for gathering us. Um, you are a God who delights to reveal yourself to us. And you show us who you are so that you can draw us into a closer relationship with you. And I just pray, God, that we're amazed by that today that we're not just here to be intellectually impacted by your word, but that does something deep within us, that it stirs something inside of us that, that hungers for more. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. We've been working off of the basic premise over the last number of weeks that the Bible tells, um, it, you know, it tells a unified story. It's a, it's a library of writings that are both human and divine at the same time. We went through that a few weeks ago. That tell a unified story that you, lead us to Jesus. And that's, that's really where we're going with this. And we really believe that even the, the hard stuff, the difficult stuff to process in Scripture actually has pointers to Jesus through it. Now, I'm going to read a Scripture passage here. It's a story. It's an account that happens after the resurrection. And there's a couple guys, and they're, and they're bummed. And let me just let me read this. And, and only Luke tells this account. Only Luke's account 
talks about this. Luke 24, it says, Now that same day, that's the same day that Jesus resurrected, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing today together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. So in their minds, real quick, let me stop there for a second. In their minds, they are flabbergasted that Jesus, this guy, doesn't know what's been happening. They just can't even believe it. Like, have you been living under a rock? This whole city has been electric with this guy, Jesus. This whole city has been going crazy with different things going on in their minds. In their minds, the show's over. In their minds, it's done. And about, they say this, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen, seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. So here's the thing. I'm going to make the claim to many of us that I think you might agree with. You might not, but see, I believe the human heart like runs on hope. It actually feeds on hope. Maybe it's just, maybe it's just little stuff in your life. Like you hope to get a new job. You hope to get a raise. You hope that your kids turn out okay. You just have this little bit of hope that kind of gets you going down the road. And, and here's the thing. When, when hope runs out, on something that you've been thinking about, dreaming about, like wishing to happen, when hope runs out, you experience a bunch of different emotion. You experience depression, you experience anxiety, you experience fear, you experience just real disappointment. And I think that's what these guys were experiencing. Because really, when you think about it, hope drives what we do. It really does. I mean, a lot of us are just sitting around going, man, I really hope that this quarterback situation for the Broncos works out, right? I mean, it just, we got like 10 of them, and they're all like 12 feet tall, and who knows, you know, like, we'll see what happens. What do we, you know, what do we, what do you hope for? And, and why do any, why do anything unless you hope, right? I mean, really, why do anything unless there's some measure of hope behind it? Someone once said that what oxygen is to the lungs, so hope is to the human life. It's just something that we just crave and need. And so let me just give you a quick backdrop here. These two guys 
were within this kind of cluster of what the Bible calls the disciples. They weren't the twelve. But they may have been part of that close 70 or 120 that the Bible talks about. We only know one of their names, Cleopas. We know that they had been cruising around with Jesus and the disciples for at least a little while, right? I don't know when they met up. Maybe Cleopas and his buddy were, um, maybe they were were, uh, in Galilee when Jesus was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I don't know. Maybe they caught, caught up with them when Jesus was coming through Samaria. I, I don't know. Maybe they saw Jesus heal some people. Maybe they saw Jesus do some teaching that is recorded in Scripture. Or maybe, maybe they just kind of caught what this whole thing was about just on, on a regular thing that never got recorded. John says that so much happened and, and never was written down. And so they, for whatever reason, they had put their hope, they had pinned their expectations on Jesus being more than a guy that would heal people and say some really cool things. They actually believed that he was going to be Messiah. They actually believed that. They had pinned all their hopes on it. They, they had formed uh, themselves into a new community of people that also agreed with that. And since, obviously, in their eyes... It wasn't happening anymore. They just had to go back home. I mean, think about that. They, they probably left some sort of employment. They probably left some sort of family. They probably left some sort of community in Emmaus and spent whatever amount of time, we don't know, cruising around with Jesus and his disciples. And now the party was over. And they probably looked at each other and were like, well, I'm going to go back home. Yeah, I guess me too. And they're on their way home and they meet up with Jesus and they don't know it. And they don't know it. You know, there's uh, some of us in this room that, that know what this means when you lose hope in people, right? When you lose hope in I mean, I think we've all lost hope in politicians, right? But I mean, I mean when you lose like legitimate hope in people in your life, When you lose hope in a marriage, when you lose hope in a friendship, or that a friendship can get restored, when you lose hope in in whatever dreams that you might have thought you had 10 years, 20 years ago, we have that. You know what that's like. I know what that's like. You know, ultimately, there's something about imagined reality that we all face, right? We all face something about imagined reality. Imagined reality is that what you imagine to be true or want to be true or hope to be true, but when it doesn't come true, it changes things for you. I mean, for instance, what you believe about yourself, what you believe about others, and what you believe about the world really determines how you live. It has everything to do with how you live. It's, uh, the New York Times had this article called The Science of Disappointment a couple years ago, and I kept it on file because I thought it was just fascinating. Not really because it really took science to figure out that the human condition gets, we get disappointed and what that does, but what was interesting in their findings was it wasn't just an emotional response that people had to disappointment. I mean, we all have emotional responses to disappointment, but they actually, scientists believe and psychologists believe that 
not just is it an, an emotional thing, but it's a physiological response that we have. Like our bodies feel when our hope fades. We actually feel it, right? They actually call this, this is a scientific term, reward prediction error. <laughs> reward prediction error. You can use that on your kids later. Like when you go to Target and they want a toy and you say no, just say, you know what you're experiencing? You're experiencing reward prediction error. Or as my dad called it growing up, <laughs> don't get your hopes up. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just what it is. And we all experience it. And as adults, we experience it. And I just don't think we really understand how much when hope is sucked out of us, it affects us. But this is what Jesus does in response. Listen to these words. He said to them, this is, this is great. How foolish you are. Right? He just drops the foolish card on them. This is verse 25. How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So when Jesus uses the words prophets, he actually means the whole Old Testament. He actually means, they call Moses a prophet. I mean, it just, it, the whole Old Testament. How foolish you are to, to, to believe and slow to believe that all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then it says in verse 27, in beginning with Moses... In all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning him. Like he just starts to unpack the whole thing. He starts to just weave it all together. Like have you ever watched a movie and then, but like maybe you watched Inception or something like that and you're just like, I don't even know what just happened. Like there was a, how many dreams? They were dreaming in a dream. Like you're, you're just asking people these questions, right? People, and, then, and then someone's able to just explain it to you. You're like, oh. And that's somewhat what Jesus has done here. Like these guys have a knowledge of the Old Testament. They have a knowledge of everything, but they just haven't put it all together. They don't understand why it ended the way it did. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So we went to, in to stay with them, which is a common practice of the day. You would stay at homes along the route. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? I love that line. Were not our hearts burning within us? I don't know if you've ever experienced that. That kind of fierce just joy and, and, and hope in your, in your soul when your mind and heart are opened to who Jesus is. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in your life. And for some of us, that, that, that fades over time. We go through seasons where we're like, well, I'm not sure about that anymore. And we see evil in this world, and we see uh, disappointment happen in our own lives, and we're just like, 
man, I wish it was that simple. It says in verse 33 that they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Now, this is the really fun part. I mean, when you think about these two guys, they were ready to chuck it, right? In fact, they probably had chucked it. They were probably already in their minds thinking about what was next in their life, right? How am I going to make a living? What is my family and friends going to say when I come back and this whole Jesus thing didn't pan out, right? They're going to be like, eh, glad to have you back. Kind of told you so though, right? You know, maybe there was some of that going on in their minds, like how to save face, right? Like how to maybe then make sense of the fact that maybe this wasn't Messiah, but wonder what the next one, what the real one's going to look like. See, it's interesting. A lot of times when we talk about faith, the word faith for a lot of us in our modern lexicon has, has a lot to do with, well, it's synonymous with opinion or wish or belief. And these guys really were at a point where they had to start dreaming a different dream, right? Dream a different dream. What's interesting is Paul usually talks about faith in terms of allegiance, not in terms of belief. So for Paul, when Paul says, by faith you have been saved through grace, or sorry, by grace you have been saved through faith, what Paul is actually saying, in many ways, is way deeper than, by grace you have been saved through belief. He's saying, by grace you have been saved through allegiance, right? Like aligning your life and your heart and your trajectory to Jesus. That's where this grace piece comes in. That's where the joy of walking next to Jesus and having him open the scriptures to you really comes in. So a lot of times what happens is when we get disillusioned, we get disappointed, we get uh, frustrated, and, and we feel like our dreams are fading, what happens is a lot of us move away from community. I mean, think about these two guys. The, the whole Jesus thing wasn't really panning out, and so they decided to leave. They decided to leave the people that they were hanging out with the last whatever amount of time, months or years. People they had aligned their lives with, people that were really different. Remember, we talked about the disciples. You have some Jewish people in there. You have this, this sinister tax collector guy in there. You have a couple guys called the, the Sons of Thunder that they weren't that way because they were friendly. They were actually zealous. Uh, they, they wanted to actually kill anybody who was Roman before Jesus got a hold of them. You get this hodgepodge mix of people following Jesus around. And they decided to move away from this group. See, it's interesting is that, let me just throw this out there. People who believe in the virgin birth don't get points for believing in the virgin birth. They live in a different world. 
We live in a different world when we believe in a virgin birth, that a, a virgin birth could happen, that virgin births occur. That's a, that's a different world than a world that says they don't. Right? I mean, a world where Jesus rises from the dead, where God reveals himself in Scripture, that's a different world than a world where these things aren't true. And when we believe in a truer world, we gain the new realities that God has provided. I mean, there's something new comes into our lives when that happens. And when we don't believe in that world, we're simply restricting what we can work out on our own. And so when the disciples have this encounter with Jesus, they finally figure out it's Jesus, what happens in them? Their heart begins to burn within them. Like things begin to open up in new ways and in, in new avenues that never, they could have never believed before. In fact, they start to move back to community, back to people again. Listen to this definition, part of a definition of community. Community includes the bonding of uncommon people around a common mission. Like that's really true community. If you can hang out with people that you normally wouldn't hang out with, but because you've had an encounter with Jesus, they're brothers and sisters. Listen to this quote about community. Community is vitally important because the church, the community of God's people, is the hermeneutic of the gospel. In other words, the community of the church is the living, breathing, in-your-face demonstration of what it means to live under the reign of God. Isn't that awesome? The in-your-face demonstration of what it means to live under the reign of God. This book that it's quoted from is actually a book that our leadership team has been reading. And it is, I would say, life-changing. John 13 says this, Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so a lot of times we've lost this, right? We lost this because you and I, going all the way back to the story of when sin first entered humanity, the first thing that happened when sin entered the garden was what, what did Adam and Eve do? Anybody? They hid. They hid. And here's the thing. You and I are hardwired to hide. It's just, it's just what we are. It's just in us. It's just part of, of what it means to be human. And here's the thing. I don't care if you're an introvert or an extrovert. I'm an extrovert, and I am really good at hiding right in plain sight. And I think sometimes it's lonelier to be an extrovert and hiding in plain sight. Now, unless someone changed the New Testament without me knowing it, God still calls us to community. And I think one of the coolest things about this story is these guys, when they're disappointed and disillusioned, they're walking away from community. And when they encounter Jesus again, what do they do? They turn right back. They go right back to their community. Listen to this quote from Eugene Peterson. The, the Christian scriptures are the primary text 
for, the Christian, for Christian spirituality. Christian spirituality is, in its entirety, rooted in and shaped by the scriptural text. We don't form our personal spiritual lives out of a random assemblage of favorite texts in combination with individual circumstances. We talked about this a few weeks ago, right? Like we don't pick and choose verses out of the Bible and then and mesh those into our own personal story and go, yep, this is my version of, of being a Christian. We are formed by the Holy Spirit in accordance with the text of Holy Scripture. God does not put us in charge of forming our personal spiritualities. We grow in accordance with the revealed word planted in us by the Spirit. And all of this happens in community. It can't happen on your own. We say this all the time. You can't follow Jesus on your own. You can't do it. It's a team sport. And this last quote I want to share with you before we finish up is another book that I gave you as a resource by a guy named Mike Erie. It says, all of this happens in community. The Bible was never meant to be read, interpreted, and practiced alone. As many have said, the yous are plural. That is, most of the commands in the New Testament are written to churches, not to individuals. Therefore, one of the primary roles of the church is the enculturation of people into the new humanity, the people of God. That's what scripture's for. So why is this important? Why is this really important for us right here, right now? Because we want to continually become a place that manifests and lives out what Jesus teaches in the easy things and the hard things. See, what happens here when, when the worship team kind of leads us in worship, and, and really what you're doing here, listening to the word preach, is actually worship too. When we do this together, our imaginations are changed. Okay? That's what happens. We, we begin to dream different dreams, better dreams. Our imaginations are changed. They're reoriented, okay, around the goodness and majesty and power of God. That's what happens. That's why we gather together. Scripture grounds us together in the truth about God, like the real version about God, who we are and how we relate to each other. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then what happens is when we get around the table, the communion table, and when we celebrate baptism like we did a few weeks ago, what we do is we tell and retell ourselves stories about God, about Jesus. That's why this is all important. So we want to read the scriptures together. We want to be a church that's serious about that, not in a legalistic way, not in a let's learn more about it so we can, you know, really be smart about it and have a whole bunch of knowledge. No, we talked about how you could know scriptures back and front and still be a jerk. Yeah, you could still hoard all your money and be a mean jerk. But we want to learn how to read Scripture. We want to learn how to read Scripture together. We want to wrap our heads around the larger story, and we want to dream different. And so I don't know where you are this morning. Let me just share with you where I am this morning, and then maybe you're there too. I'm really disappointed in the church 
Not this church. I love you guys. We're not perfect, though. Well, some of you are. I'm really disappointed in the church. I have to be honest with you. I mean, I, 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 I was on a little pastor's retreat this last week, um, two-day thing, and I was sitting with a pastor. It was, of course, we were golfing. And um, um, some of us better than others. And uh, I'm sitting with him in this golf cart, and I told him, I just, I just, just honest, I said, you know what? Like, I literally think that I don't think I could work for 99.9% of the churches in America right now. I really just don't. And I'm not trying to be, like, holier than, I'm just, I just, ah, I've just seen it. I've seen it all. I've, I, 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 there's just, when you peel back the curtain of church, <laughs> it's lame. It's not, I mean, it's like, pay no attention to the man behind the curtain, right? Like, there's like a whole different engine driving some places. I'm not going to get specific. The other thing that gets me really frustrated is that we've, and I say we, is the church. I'm not saying you, I'm saying we as American Christians have trusted politicians We've aligned ourselves with government and, and we've aligned ourselves with political parties and we've treated marginalized people horribly. And um, we're usually the first to start banging the drum as far as military stuff. And it's just, when I read Jesus, I just, that's not, not in there. Like it's not in there. And so I, I, I guess I could say I'm really disappointed. I'm really disappointed sometimes on how churches make certain things more of a priority than other things. I get disappointed when, when pastors gather together and they ask how big your church is and how fast is it growing, how big your budget is. So I guess I'm kind of cynical. <laughs> Maybe you are too, I don't know. I just know that Jesus' words give me hope that that's not the end game. And maybe you need to hear that today too. Maybe you're disappointed. Maybe you're disillusioned and confused and have a lost hope. Maybe you're like Cleopas and his buddy. And all you just really want is to hear the words of Jesus again, stirring your heart. Maybe you're just an attender here or somewhere. And, and I want to encourage you to maybe take that next step, maybe move the needle a little bit in your life to being something more than that. Maybe to get to know people, and it's messy, and I get it. And maybe you're sitting here and you're not a follower of this Jesus, and that this all is kind of weird and interesting, and you have a lot of questions, and I would encourage you, to read it. Read it. Read this account for yourself. Read it brand new for some of us. And so today we're going to come to the table and I'm going to invite Dan to lead us in that. And um, Dan, you might, if I pray and then we'll, yeah, let me pray. Dan, come on up.